And good morning, brethren. Satan uses various strategies to destroy us morally, to destroy us physically, and to destroy us spiritually. We find that words and how he uses them are his deadliest weapon. Let us pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we do love you indeed. And Father, we know that we must always strive, Father, to have you living within us, Father. We must always strive to have the things which come forth from our hearts through our mouths, Father. Our words that are edifying, words that are glorifying, words that are pleasing in your sight. And Heavenly Father, as we have gathered here this morning to worship you, to praise you and honor you and glorify you, Father, may we indeed send forth a pleasing aroma. May we indeed send forth pleasing actions and activities. Father, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for blessing us so much. We thank you for being with us this morning. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Satan uses all manner of devices to draw us into sin, to draw us in disbelief. When we think about the taxes that he used, we find that he sends trouble and sorrows to rob us of joy. He sends illness and trials to bring us to the point where we doubt God's goodness and even the fact that he is present in our lives. He gives us false ideas and doctrines to capture our attention. And then in the end, there's the lure of immorality or worldly treasure, rather, to seduce us into serving him rather than serving our God. These and other allurements that we come in contact with are mighty entrapments, and they cause us to, to fall. But when we think about it, all of these together don't wreck as much havoc on our souls and in our lives as the words that we speak, because these are Satan's deadliest weapon. For those of us who've been around for a while, we've heard the phrase that the pen is mightier than the sword. This, this term was pen back in 1839, and the idea behind this phrase is this right here, that words or ideas have more power than the weapons of armies. Now, there are other familiar words that have moved entire nations to good, but there have also been words that have moved entire nations to evil. And I want to first go to that time when words were used to bring an entire nation to good. And I take us back to the 1960s when John Kennedy, president of the United States, was trying to inspire young people to, to be servants to this country. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. When God is talking to us, God is saying, ask not what I can do for you, but what you can do for me in spreading the gospel. When we look at us as a congregation, we're saying, your elders are saying to each and every one of us, ask not what your congregation in the Lord can do for you, but what you can do for your congregation in the Lord. I said there are words also that inspire evil. 
I take you back to a time when there was a term called Hell Hitler, which reminded us of how soulless mankind can be. Now, there's a point in all of this. The point is this. When it comes to attacking, when it comes to distracting, when it comes to dividing the disciples of Christ Jesus, Satan's deadliest tools are weapons, are words. Good morning again, brethren. I take this opportunity to welcome everyone who is joining us this morning in person, as well as those who are here online. I just wanted you to know that I stopped by this morning for a reason. I stopped by to bring you a message that would help us focus on those situations where words build, as well as where words destroy the church. The determining factor that separates a growing church from a dividing one, that separates a happy congregation from a war zone, that separates a loving Christian family from a closed and cold one, are usually the words that we speak. Are you aware that the words we speak that either, or rather, do you, are you aware that the words we speak to ourselves, for instance, in the terms of self-talk, they can encourage us or discourage us? Are we aware of the words we speak to one another? Are we aware of the words we speak about one another? Are we aware of the words that we speak outside to the outside community? The words we use can build or destroy. And this is what we have to be mindful of. We choose. We choose. Yes, it's fair to say that many times Satan is doing the urging. He's urging us to say what is not true. He's urging us to say what is ugly. He urges us to say what is hurtful, mean, or proud. But the, and the Bible has many examples of such destructive words. And I want to share with you a few of those examples. First, I want to take you to Job chapter 2 at verse 9. Now, if we think back on that text, we find that Job has been struck down with many afflictions and he needed a word of faith. He needed a word of hope. He needed a word of love. And what happened? Satan moved his wife to deliver a deadly blow. She answered his pain with the words, why don't you just curse God and die? This woman didn't completely destroy his faith, no, but, but her words plunged him into a silent depression, if you will, and suffering that only added to his misery. And then I take you to Numbers 13. When Moses sent those 12 spies to spy out the promised land so that they can prepare for their entry there to their new life. But we find that all that came back was not positive. Of the 12 who went in to survey the land, what happened? 10 came back with the report filled with fear and doubt about the possibility of success for the people of Israel. Now, despite the appeal of, of the other two spies, Caleb and Joshua, the people were swayed by the negative reports of those cowardly agents. They use mere words to convince the people 
not to go forward as God had commanded them to do. And because of these words, the Israelites were punished by God, by God rather, to, to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And as a result of that, the words of those 10 men, they cost a nation, an entire generation that would ultimately die in the desert because of their words. And therefore, they missed out on the promised land. Another example And this, again, is another example of destructive words. It appears in the episode where Christ Jesus would gather with his disciples, his apostles. And a woman came to anoint him with some expensive oil. We read in Matthew chapter 26 and John 12, where the writers quote Judas as saying that this was a waste of money and it could have been used for another purpose. And the two writers have knew that Judas was speaking out of greed and not really concerned for the poor. We're told in Matthew that those words that Judas spoke was born out of greed and that they had a reaction to his words and that they were indignant. They were upset. They were stirred up. His words brought about disunity. His words brought about the the possibility of destroying their spirituality for this entire group. James, a leader of the early church in Jerusalem, tells us that at James chapter 3 at verse 4, that words are like fire in that a small spark can consume a great deal of land, if you will. In the same way, a few words planted in the right place and the right time can destroy our lives, but they can also destroy the lives of others. But there's an elliptical side to this, a flip side, if you will where the opposite is true as well, where the right words spoken at the right time, where the right words spoken at the right place can be lifesavers. Solomon expresses this idea in Proverbs chapter 25 at verse 11, where the Bible says, like apples of gold in settings of silver, it's a word spoken in right circumstances. David, the second king of Israel, turned the tide of the battle against the Philistines and their champion Goliath when he spoke those words that we find in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47. John read those this morning. There the Bible says, you come to me with the sword. You come to me with the spear. You come to me with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. This day I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistine this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. That all, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel 
and that all his assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle belongs to the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. Another Jewish leader, Nehemiah chapter 2 at verse 17, empowered the people when he went before them and said the following, You see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. All of us remember Doubt and Thomas. The man we call Doubt and Thomas was in fact the apostle who provided motivation to the other apostles, his fellow disciples, when, when their lives were threatened and Christ Jesus' enemies were closing in, what did he do? He encouraged others to continue, follow, continue following the Lord, even into a dangerous situation. John chapter 11 and verse 16, the Bible reads, Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go Rather, let us also go so that we may die with him. All of those encouraging words, but think about this one for a moment. There are many encouraging words that we find from Christ Jesus himself. Words that are, really, they are indeed encouraging. They are so loving. They are so life-affirming. A good example of which is said can be said when uh, a woman who had been, we're told, caught in the very act of adultery and was brought forth publicly to be shamed and also to be used to trap Christ Jesus. At John chapter 8 at verse 10, remember, Christ Jesus, before he knelt down, he said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he knelt down and he wrote in the sand. And straightening up, the Bible says, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. In our lifetimes, what we find is so many words are spoken, but only certain words uttered at an opportune moment can build up. They can infuse hope in a tired soul, but not only that, they can strengthen one's resolve to, to carry on, to aim higher, to do one's best. But you know, if we let him, if we let him, Satan will always provoke us to words that destroy, words that only build us up, and unfortunately, words that dishonor Christ Jesus and his church. As far as the church is concerned, as far as the church is concerned, its future success is not based on the number of visitors that attend. As far as the church is concerned, its future success is not based on how much money we collect. As far as the church is concerned, its futures, its success rather, is not based upon the kinds of programs or preachers that we have. As far as the church is concerned, our success is not based on how regular, consistently, and often we attend worship services. But make no mistake, 
Make no mistake. These are all necessary in building up the church. But there is an important factor here. The most important factor affecting the successful development of an individual Christian or a congregation of the words chosen and the way these words are spoken to each person who identifies with the congregation. Now with this in mind, with this in mind, there are three reminders that can guide us, if you will, in our selection and use of words. Reminder number one, I'm going to use the word you, but think of it as I. I'm going to use the word you, but think of it as I. You always have a choice. Unless you are seriously handicapped or, or challenged, you have control over the words that you speak. In the end, you are the one who chooses to build up. You are the one who chooses to destroy. You are the one who chooses to support a let fall. You are the one who chooses to tell the truth or a lie. You and no one else controls this. We think about words. In many instances, words make the difference between success or failure, peace or division, acceptance or rejection. By your words, you contribute to what you or the congregation you are a part of become. By our individual words, we contribute. We contribute who we are. We contribute to that. But we also contribute what our congregation, Anchorage Church of Christ, will become. So be aware of this and choose carefully what you say in every situation. Do not let Satan choose the words for you. An effective filter is, when regarding your speech, is to ask yourself this question. Who is speaking here? Christ or Satan? Remember, the words that come forth through our mouths come forth from our hearts. So the question is, who are we allowing to live there? Are we allowing Christ Jesus to live there? Are we allowing Satan to live there? Reminder number two. Again, you're going to hear the word you, but think about I. You will be judged by your words. Jesus was very clear on this. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36 to 37, the Bible reads, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it, in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Since words, since words are so powerful, we find that God holds us accountable for every word that we speak. Now some of us can remember this when we were growing up, uh, what our mothers used to say to us, or, or some might say what our mother should have said of us. It's very true and very biblical. And this is what they would say to us. And some mothers are probably still saying that to their children today. If you don't have something good to say about people, about the church, about the program, about whatever, don't say anything. Now, we have to understand this part right here. With that said, we are allowed to feel bad 
and something else. We are allowed to have a negative opinion about someone or something. But unless we have first talked to God or, or are talking to the right person in order to resolve things, we risk our own condemnation by speaking out. I have a rule of thumb that helps remind me when I become critical. And I can become critical. Make no mistake about that. And it's this right here. Share the good. Pray about the bad. Praise in public. Reprimand in private. If you want to grow personally in Christ, avoid, if you want to avoid condemnation, and if you want to build up the church, we, we would be wise first to judge ourselves and our speech before sharing it with others. This is especially true today when we look around us in the process of sharing our thoughts and our opinions. We have the internet. We have Facebook, we have emails, we have texts. And you know what? Sometimes the way we use that, it can be very damaging. And it multiplies. I shared something with you guys a long time ago about Abraham Lincoln. This general had, according to the president, had an opportunity to end the war and save countless lives on both sides. But he chose not to take the action. The letter that that president wrote him was scathing, but the man never read it. He fired him, make no mistake about that, but the man never read the letter. That letter was not made available until after President Lincoln had been assassinated, and they were in the process of cleaning out his office, and they came across this letter in his drawer, sealed and addressed to this general, that that general never read, and it was indeed a scathing message. Try talking to one another rather than using email and texts and, all, and Facebook and talking at one another. Number three, reminder number three, strive to fill the world with his words, not yours. If, Psalms 46 at verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. If the whole world would be quiet for just 10 minutes and listen only to the words of Christ Jesus, guess what would happen? This world would be a much better place. As it is, we have to compete with so many other words in order to get the message of the gospel out. And you think about it in, 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 a two, in, in two to one, if you will. Two to one. Where there are the words of Satan spread through lies and alluring offers of pleasure and, and, and power. Then there are the, the words of the world where they're eager to keep us occupied with the riches and cares of, of what you call earthly pursuits. And then there are the words of Christ Jesus. We have the words of life spoken by Jesus and recorded by his apostles in the Bible. But you know, we have to decide. We have to decide which words we will choose to fill our hearts and minds. We must also select the kind of words that will be spoken in our homes and the ones we will proclaim to the world. I've been told often, especially since serving as an elder here, that people have a, a limit on how many words they can take in. 
And that is true. People have a finite capacity to take in information. There are just so many hours in a day and so many words a person can receive in a lifetime. The task that Jesus has given us as Christians is to make us sure that everybody in the world hears the word, the gospel message, at least once. And again, how thankful we are to be in the, in the time that we're living in. You see why? Because we have television, we have radio, we have print, and now the internet. We have the technology to carry out Jesus' Jesus' command that we find in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark 16. Go into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to go and make disciples and remind we're reminded that lo, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. We have this opportunity to take the gospel message to all the nations throughout the world in this generation his word is in our heart and his word is on our lips and he has provided the means to deliver that word through modern communication technology and all that is left and all that is left is to find those in this generation who are ready to say here I am Lord send me send me to turn the world upside down for Christ Jesus ask not what God can do for you in service but what you can do for God in service ask not what Anchorage Church of Christ can do for you but what you can do for Anchorage Church of Christ. Oh, that the world, rather what the world would do with those who will go all out, if you will, to fill the world with the words of Christ Jesus instead of the words of Satan. And as it is, as it is, we as human beings, because we are imperfect, we continue to squabble with words that hinder the church and hurt one another and fill our minds with prattle, if you will, with the prattle of fools that deny Christ and who he is and his love for this world. Now, some of you may, may be wondering, James, what are you asking us to do? James, what do you want to achieve with this lesson? Three things. I want us to watch our tongues. Most of the problems in the church stem from loose tongues. Bring your negatives negatives to God in prayer. Save your positives for the brethren and work out your problems with each other face to face, not online, not on Facebook, not on text messages, not emails, but face to face. Number two, I want us to use our tongues to fill the world with the words of Christ Jesus. We can begin by filling our minds and our hearts with them by reading his word regularly. We can continue this process by using every means we have to get the gospel message out to everyone. Number three, 
I want us to obey the words of Christ Jesus as soon as we can, whatever they are. I want to see a zeal. I want to see a hunger. I want to see an, even an impatience to obey his word. For example, if he says repent and be baptized, I want to see a rush to be immersed. If he says don't do that, I want to see people stopping quickly or as quickly as they can. If he says serve, I want to see people competing with each other to do this work. Ask not what Anchorage Church of Christ can do for me, but what I can do for Anchorage Church of Christ. If he says, go or come, I want to see people saying where and when so that they can prepare. When I think of Anchorage Church of Christ, I want to see a glorious Church of Christ. When I think of Anchorage Church of Christ, I want to see us as a light on a hill. When I think of Anchorage Church of Christ, I want to see us as a beautiful bride. When I think of Anchorage Church of Christ, I want to see a strong spiritual body that is able and eager to do his will. Hmm. Now, I said I want a lot, didn't I? <laughs> I want what I'm saying is this right here. Father, your will be done, not mine. And I hope that's the way all of us are thinking. In saying I want, what I am saying is I want what God wants. I want what Christ Jesus wants. And I hope and pray that that is our mindset in this congregation, that we want what God and Christ Jesus want, not what we want, not what the world wants. So then if there's a step to take, if there's a decision to make, if there's a resolution to establish, if there's a sin to leave behind, if there is a savior to come to, and I truly believe there is in each one of those, these occasions, I hope you will not hesitate to make your move before Satan, before Satan finds the words to talk you out of doing what it is that Christ Jesus has called you to do. When you step forward and said, James, Tony, we want to identify with this congregation and work under the oversight of the elders here. What you are saying is this right here. I am coming here not for what I can get from Anchorage Church of Christ in service, but what, how I can serve Anchorage Church of Christ. What can I give? How can I be a part and how can I help? Well, brethren, the message I stopped by to leave this morning is yours. I hope, I hope we have heard it. I hope we will consider it. I hope we will take it to heart. Why? Here's why. Because your spiritual well-being and the spiritual well-being of Anchorage Church of Christ depends on it. Your spiritual well-being and the spiritual well-being of Anchorage Church of Christ depends on it. Ask not what God can do for you, but what you can do for God in 
taking his message to the world. Ask not what Anchorage Church of Christ can do for you, but what you can do for Anchorage Church of Christ and taking the world, the word out into our community and into the world. The message is yours. If there are any needs, would you please make them known by coming forth as we stand and sing. Have you been to Jesus?